0: This is episode 648 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life, so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. On today's podcast, I have a special interview with Jimmy Meeks of Sheepdog Seminars. Hey everyone, I'm Todd Zapolvita, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is usually an audible version, with some commentary, of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website. But from time to time, I interview members of the preparedness community who can bring a ton of value and information to your preparedness. Links for this podcast can be found in the show notes or on theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. Hey, this episode is sponsored by the exclusive Prepper Website email group, which allows you to communicate with other preppers right from your email. You don't have to worry about your every link, click, or word being tracked by social media. This email group resides on the same servers as Prepper Website, so you can trust it. Other benefits include members-only videos, periodic webinars, and online meetups. This is a great value for twenty dollars a year. For more information, visit prepperwebsite.net or click the link in the show notes. Hey guys, before we jump into the interview with Jimmy, I want to just say thank you so much. You know, I talked a little bit about the uh, the reviews on iTunes, and oh my goodness, it seemed like after last week's podcast they just came through. And so I'm looking at almost six, yeah, six, six reviews, six five-star reviews that came in in the last week. And I just got to tell you, I am so blessed. I am feeling the love. Thank you so much. And just to honor those of you that sent these in, I want to read them very quickly. First one came, well, actually, so this is the last one. I'm going to read them uh, You know, from the, the most recent OB Baby Girl says, Tonight I was listening to Everyday Carry. I had to smile in your description of making the items you actually use to be what you carry. I was smiling because women have always done this. Ever wonder at the size of a woman or a purse a woman has? Those huge purses were ready for kids going to events, nail files for a broken nail, clear nail polish for a run in a stocking. My suggestion just ask your wife to look in that big purse. She is usually ready for an apocalypse. Keep up the good work. Thanks so much, baby girl, for sending that one. Next one, Kim's comes, comes from Manic Sarah. She says, "Love these podcasts. Very practical, common sense approach to preparing. Always learning something new here. Thanks." Then too much garden, and I'm gonna say, can you have too? Can you ever have too much of a garden? But too much garden says Todd does a great job curating and sharing information that is applicable to people in many walks of life. Love the variety and thoroughness of topics. There has never been a better time than today to learn something new, and this podcast is a solid and convenient weekly shot of mental readiness. Be the light. Stay dangerous to darkness. Thank you so much for sending that one in. And then Fritter417, also also Matt, is his name, says, thank you for doing this. It helps me to listen versus reading. I am able to listen to your podcast while I work on my computer when I have time. Please keep doing this for everyone. I've shared this podcast with family members that are starting to listen to what I have been saying for a few years. Thanks, Matt. And then Matt, again, thank you so much for sending that in and then also sharing it with family members and friends who want to get prepared. And you know, the, the day and age that we are living in right now, there's no better time to share preparedness information. The next one comes to us from Psalms 28.7. It says, keep up, man. Thank you for your info, Brandon A A T W. So, Brandon, thanks so much for sending that one in. And then, last comes from TFS in the PNW. I really appreciate all your hard work on your podcast. It is super informative and balanced approach to preparedness. I'm a frequent listener, and each time I learn some new ideas. Very appreciated during these troubled times. Many thanks. So guys, thanks so much again. When I saw all these coming through, I was like just blown away and felt very blessed and encouraged. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much for sending that in. It's always a blessing when I get one review that comes in, but to get all of these all at one time, it was like wow. And so uh, again, thanks so much for doing that. And if you'd like to leave a review, it would be very much appreciated. Uh, In any you know all the podcast networks that we are a part of, and we're we're a part of all the big ones. Uh, almost all of them out there. And so you can leave uh, a review there. I mostly see the reviews from Stitcher and uh, from iTunes. Um, if, I, if I have to, if I see them from somewhere else, it's because I've gone there, but uh, mostly from iTunes and, and uh, Stitcher. But I appreciate all of them. So thank you so much. All right. So let's go ahead and get into this podcast episode so Jimmy Meeks is, uh, he runs sheepdog seminars and I first became acquainted with Jimmy listening to another podcast. And I believe it was like the rural church podcast. If I, if I remember correctly, and he was talking about uh, the shooting that happened here in Texas where, uh, an armed, armed guy came in and he had a rifle underneath his, uh, Uh, He had a a long overcoat and this guy stood up. I mean, there was a church security in the back, uh, someone who was a member and they were keeping an eye on this guy because he wasn't a regular and he was dressed kind of funny and and all of that. And this guy got up and started, you know, wielded his his rifle and was getting ready to start shooting it into the congregation. And one of the the members, I, I believe he was on the security team. Uh, he was able to take him down before this guy uh, shot any of the other church members, and so that was the uh, the scenario. That was the the situation uh, at that time. And of course, looking in my podcast catcher, that caught my attention. So I wanted to to uh, listen to that because you know I I am a bivocational pastor, and so that's something that I've always kind of been interested in in church security. And so I kind of filed that in the back of my mind and then thinking about all the craziness that's going on right now. um, I I really wanted to bring him in to talk about crime and what he's seeing and what's going on there. And so he pretty much focuses on teaching churches how to protect themselves. But he's been doing, uh, you know, talking about uh, self-defense and protection for a long, long time. But I'm just going to tell you, when you get two preachers in a in a conversation and they start going forget it. So you, there is a lot of bible here, a lot of faith talk. And so if that bothers you, you probably don't want to listen to it. Although there is a lot of great information here and Jimmy makes a lot of sense. So I'm going to leave it there. I know I've received emails from other people that maybe they thought at some point I was apologizing for talking so much uh, about faith and this definitely isn't a Christian podcast, but my faith is going to come out because it's so much a part of my life. It's going to naturally come out. And if it didn't, I mean, I don't know how good a, a believer I would be. And so I'm not apologizing like uh, like that email said. Uh, I am just, I'm letting you know that, that if that's going to offend you and you're just here for all the preparedness, uh, although there's a lot of preparedness here that you can, you can glean, Um, Just you probably want to go ahead and turn it off and go listen to another episode, uh, one of the past episodes, or wait for the next one to come out. But I I still think this is going to be really great information here. I think you're all going to enjoy it, and at least I hope you do. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the interview with Jimmy Meeks of Sheepdog Seminar. Hey, Jimmy, welcome to the Prepper Website Podcast. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for having me on. It's a privilege to be here.
0: Can you tell us a, a little bit, or the audience, a little bit about yourself and, and what you do?
1: Well, I was a police officer for uh, 35 years, and uh, I've been in the ministry for about uh, um, gee, about 47 years. So I've just been kind of in this life for quite some, quite some
0: time. And I know that one of the things that you do, you do some seminars, you travel around the country, and, and the way that I was introduced to you was through a podcast, and uh, we were talking about the the church shooting here in Texas, where, um, I, I, and to be honest with you, I mean, it was like over a year ago, it seems like, and I think it was, where this uh, a, a church member was able to stop someone who was going to, you know... Uh, who had a rifle and was ready to shoot up the church? Mm-hmm. And uh, in in that um, in that podcast, that's where I, where I kind of became familiar with you and what you do. Uh, can you share a little bit about about that and your your ministry work as far as seminars go and how your sure. how you're, how you're uh, reaching out to different various ministries and churches and going around the country?
1: Yeah, the the, uh, the attack you're referring to was six months ago, the last Sunday in January. Excuse me the last Sunday in December. Okay. Actually, in uh, that was in uh, a white settlement, Texas, I believe. I uh, went to that vigil the next night, but uh, that was the situation where the man came in, uh, had a, I forget what kind of gun he had, but I think it was a shotgun, but I don't remember. And of course, Jack Wilson, one of the members there and head of the security team, safety team, whatever you choose to call it, uh, you know, stopped him at, But he, after he killed two people. And uh, so, what I've been doing for the last actually since May 28th of 2009, seven years ago, I um, was assigned to the crime prevention division of my police department. I worked in the uh, Hearst, Texas Police Department on the north side of Fort Worth. And I had a three year assignment that was just uh, the ultimate gig. Uh, I uh, showed people how to stop crime. Crime is so much of it is just so preventable but people just don't take the steps to, to stop it. But I, I used to tell my chief, I can stop crying if you will just cut me loose to do it. And uh, we just couldn't get That's a whole other story. But I began to think when I, when I was in that assignment around 2006 or and seven uh, and 2008 and 2009, I just kept thinking, I need to do something for churches. I wonder how violent it is at churches. I didn't know how violent it was at the time. Uh, I was married in a church where 40 years ago, in june of 1980 a man walked in to the morning worship service and uh, service in dangerfield texas two and a half hours east of dallas he walked in there on a sunday morning about 11:20. there were 350 people in there i was not there uh, that sunday i was overseas visiting my in-laws who were missionaries but my grandmother was there great-grandmother and grandpa were there and um, he walked in he shouted this is war he had four guns 400 bullets two flak jackets and an army helmet he shouted this is war he shot 15 people. He killed five. I knew about that, though I had never really studied it very seriously. I knew about the Wedgwood Baptist attack, uh, September 15th, 1999. A man comes to church on Wednesday night, shoots 14, kills seven. And I knew about a few things here and there. I didn't know how bad it was. I did not know that, uh, as it is now, that just as many people, if not more, die a violent death on faith-based property than they do in school shootings. We've lost almost 900 people in the last 20 years, uh, which is a number that's slightly higher, I believe, than the school shootings. So I put together a seminar, held it on a Thursday, May 28th of 2009, and then uh, I just assumed after that that my church safety seminar days were over with, and that was probably 400 seminars ago. I've been in about 40 states now. I mean, we've been from Bangor, Maine, to San Diego, Seattle to Miami, and all in between, Virginia Beach to. Sacramento, we just do these seminars everywhere, and we try to get these churches wake up, wake up, wake up, and uh, be prepared for this violence. It's not going to stop. as you can see it's actually escalating. We've had several people shot in church in the last two months or on church property. all kinds of sex crimes. We also address that. We have about four or 5,000 sex crimes that occur on faith-based property every year. There We'll have more people sexually molested in a faith-based setting in one year. Then we've had people shot at churches and schools combined in fifty years, so we run around doing these seminars, have a team of guys I take with me, and we try to wake them up and show them what to do. Many of these crimes are almost all of them are very preventable if you have some means in place to stop them if you don't, you're just kind of hoping for the best
0: yeah, wow, well, thank you for your service and, and for what you're doing out there. Um, <clears throat> you know you did mention the seminars you know going around the country, and you also mentioned the crime that's not going to stop. And and I believe that. I believe this is escalating. I believe it's going to continue to escalate. Uh, That's one reason why I I asked you on, to talk a little bit about uh, how we can prevent crime and what we can do along those lines. And so with all the connections that you have out there, uh, with all the different seminars that you've done and going across the country, can you share with us a little bit of the general consensus Uh, of what you're hearing as far as crime and and safety out there.
1: Well, if you're talking about crimes that occur on faith-based property, I'll address that first, if that's okay. Um, I ran into something I never thought I would run into when I started doing this. I just thought everybody would appreciate what I'm doing. I'm trying to keep children from being sexually molested. I'm trying to keep uh, them from having happen what happened to my friend Frank at his church. November of 2017, somebody shows up and shoots 46 people at his uh, small church that wasn't too much bigger than a couple of living rooms combined. He shot 46, killed 26. I'm sure you remember that. Uh, Frank sometimes travels with us, as does his wife. But the biggest problem I run into when I deal with Christian people, and I'm a Christian. I mean, I've been studying the word all morning. I love Jesus. I'm, You know, my degree is in religion. I've been a minister of nineteen since 19- 73 for pushing 50 years. But the biggest obstacle I run into when dealing with Christian church-going people is they simply do not have the mindset. And I don't know how to put this. You may have to edit it out, but uh, religion tends to dumb people down sometimes when it comes to common sense. Uh, They just lose it. They believe weird things like we're in the house of God. He will protect us. Could there be any more unthought of unthought-out, whatever the phrase is, unthought-out statement to make when um, when we have all these people that are killed inside churches or on the church property. If he's going to protect us, why is he not protecting them? Referring to God. Why didn't he stop that killer in Sutherland Springs? Why didn't he stop that killer at the church I was married in? 15 shot, 5 killed. Wedgwood Baptist. Look at all these churches. Why didn't God stop it? So people, uh, in Nigeria, 2012, terrorists... Burned down a thousand churches in the course of a year or two, three or four, however long it took them. So it's, it's, it's odd that people have this weird belief. We're in the house of God, even though there's not one verse in the Bible. I've read it through a couple of million times. There's not one verse in the Bible that indicates that God lives inside your brick building. And we always tell people, why why would you believe that? Why would you believe that uh, just because you have a, a sign out front that says church and a steeple on, top, what makes you think you're going to get divine protection? That's superstition. That is not spirituality. And what do you do with all these facts? Most of the time, uh, pastor, uh, the biggest obstacle I have are the pastors. They simply won't take the means to protect their flock, even though the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 13, love always protects. So the biggest obstacle I run into in trying to get these churches, hey, there's just about six or seven things you need to get good at, but they just won't do them. Now, the church invites us, they'll often have something in place and try to help the other churches, but I am just amazed and stunned at the ignorance of God's people. Hosea the prophet said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, Uh, but the faith factor, people do not understand what faith is. They think we just trust God, therefore we do nothing. Well, if that's the truth, what are you doing going to work? Jesus said, my father will feed you and clothe you. Oh, you of little faith, why don't you just sit at home and let the clothes and the food appear. Why do you go to work? You have little faith. But we know, Paul said, if you don't work, you don't eat. So we have to understand that we can stop, we can have faith, but faith means you'll have works. We tell them all the time at our seminars uh, faith without works is dead. And you might be too if you don't have a plan. And uh, so I'm just appalled at the, the misunderstanding and the misinterpretation of faith and the ignorance that is just so prevalent amongst God's people. So many of these crimes, almost all of them, uh, are preventable. You know, the Bible says, The prudent foresee danger and take precautions. The simpleton ignores them and suffers the consequences. So we tell preachers and others, uh, if you have faith, I assume you mean you have faith in God's word. And he said, you need to foresee danger and take precautions. The same thing you do when you get your car, you buckle yourself up, you buckle up your your children, your spouse is all buckled up. Well, if you have faith as you believe it, what, what are you doing buckling up? Can he not protect you if you're in a wreck? So it's just, it's just weird. That's the biggest obstacle we run into in trying to help these churches is just the, the ignorance that is so common.
0: I, I'm, I'm smiling here, and I know, you know, in the podcast people can't see me, but I'm smiling because a lot of the same things that you're talking about as far as uh, believers and <laughs> crime, uh, we say the same thing as far as preparedness. And, uh, you, know, you know, God has given us a brain. We use it. Uh, yeah, if you, if you believe God's going to provide for you, um, which he does, but he he gives us a brain to to be able to use that wisely. If uh, you know you believe that, then don't put gas in your car. You don't go put don't go to the grocery store and yeah, put food in bad your bad. yeah. Don't put food in your pantry. You know, so all those things definitely. Uh, you know, I'm I'm smiling because because you you're saying all those things that apply to so many things for Christians. Um, th- that same argument I've heard for not being. Prepared and and not having maybe some extra food and and looking at you know what's going on in the world and and uh, preparing along those lines, so if we move away just from from the the Christian perspective and maybe church perspective, what are you seeing out there as far as crime and safety, just just in general because we see there I mean you know you're on social media you see things going. Uh, going crazy with protests and riots and and all the other things. I mean, you know, are you hearing anything out there specifically or is it just, you know, uh, business as usual?
1: Well, Pastor, there's a, you know, uh, right now we live in just uncharted waters. I mean, we are more divided than we have been probably since the Civil War. We may not have been this divided since we were fighting the English, you know, for the establishment of our own country. And I don't see, there's too many people in the country, 325 plus million. uh, We're just, forgive my pessimistic attitude, but we're not going to go back. Uh, There's not going to be any sense of normalcy that returns. Uh, And I'm not sure there needs to be. There needs to be some changes in the criminal justice system. All kinds of things need to happen. But there is simply, and I've made made this argument for years, there's too much anger. Uh, There are too many angry people. I've I've talked to... uh, at least on social media this morning, two or three angry police officers, uh, angry citizens, angry non-police officers, whether you're red, yellow, black or white, there's just too much anger. And most people just aren't going to be willing to confront that. But to those of us that like, wow, we need to do something about this, they have to think in terms of preparation. You have to think in terms of what you're going to do. There's only about one police officer per 10 to 20,000 people out there. Uh, the police are not coming to your rescue. They're not coming. I mean, we saw up in Seattle, uh, you know, they're not even going in that chop zone. And they've already had two or three people killed in the last couple of weeks. Um, This is not going to stop. This is not going to stop. There's too many angry people. And that opens the door for the opportunists to come in and pillage and loot, steal, you know, burn down buildings or tear windows out of police cars. Uh, We're just not going to go back to that. You know, Jesus talked about nation against nation. He actually used the word ethnicity against ethnicity. There's too much hate, too much racial tension. And though I want to do all I can, you know, to try to stop that, most people are just not going to do that. They're just going to stay in their anger. They're going to be mad. They're going to get a sour disposition and be moody all the time and what have you. So there has to be a real waking up and realizing, gee, what am I going to do? What am I individually going to do? But crime's just not going to stop. It's just, uh, it's going to provide this climate that we're in Yeah. If I decided all of a sudden to abandon God and do just whatever my flesh wanted to do, we live in a day of perfect opportunity for you to commit crime because you can get away with it. Only about two out of 10 crimes are solved. There's cold cases in thousands of of the uh, 17,000 police departments in this country. This is a, I hate to say it, it's a, I don't want the wrong guy listening to the podcast, but uh, it's just a perfect time because uh, we're just not going to be able to go back. There's too much anger, too many people mad, a lot of hate and uh, very, very, uh, just a lack of humility and willing to listen to others and what we might need to do and what have you. So you have to, uh, I like what my partner always says, you know, uh, I am my family's secret service. I am my family's secret service. You've got to assume responsibility uh, for your own protection. Uh, we know this for sure in reference to attacks on churches, 91% of the time, 91% of the time that a killer comes to church, he completes his mission before he is killed or kills himself or stopped. So nine times out of 10, the police do not get there to stop these crimes. So you need to assume responsibility for your flock and you know, for your wife, your kids, your family. Uh, you just have to think that way. It is a myth to think the police are coming to your rescue. We have th- Dallas, Texas is 1,000 police officers short. They had to bring in the highway patrol a few months ago to help out. and Now they're gone. Uh, these departments, they don't have the manpower. They don't have the means to come to your rescue. In Seattle, they, you know, they hadn't even been able to respond down there to that chop zone. It, it's just a mess. So we're not going back. The mess is too big. Uh, I'm sure things will quiet down after a while, but we're not going to go back to some sense of normalcy where you don't have to think about these things.
0: What, what do you what do you feel about the whole defend or defund the police? Um, that whole argument, what, you know, what do you, where do you think that's coming from? Well, there's, uh,
1: once again, it's not like a broken record. There's so much anger toward the police. There is so much anger toward those 800,000 men and women in blue. And I served as a police officer, as I said earlier, for 35 years, five in Oklahoma, 30 in Texas. Uh, number one, we're, we're not going to defund the police. It'll take years to do anything like that. And some of the police would say, oh, yeah, let's bring civilians on and let them respond to domestic disturbances. The police don't like to go to them anyway. The police don't like dealing with the homeless. They don't like dealing with domestic disturbances, neighborhood disputes. So they're going to say, yeah, bring it on. Come on. Uh, We're going to get a little vacation here for a couple of years because it won't work out. And furthermore, state legislatures and federal governments, they're not federal government. They're not going to. They're just not going to let these cities defund the police. And they don't even really know what that means yet but it simply won't work. And we, we tried it before. You know, they tried it in the days of Noah. <laughs> and the Bible says they were so corrupt and violent, God said, I regret that I made you. That's what he said, I am sorry that I made man, and you wiped them off the earth because they were so corrupt and violent. You have to have a police force. And over 60% of people support the police. It's a myth to think the whole country is turned against the police. There are back the blue signs all around my neighborhood, and they're all over the country. So right now, everybody's just so angry and so hot and mad that they're not thinking straight. But uh, the state legislatures, federal government, they're not going to let you, you know, get rid of the police. It would just be a monumental task. You can't do that in Minneapolis. That's a war zone. Uh, I was up there a couple of years ago, wanting to ride around Minneapolis cops, and they said, Jimmy, we're working two shootings right now. We just can't do that right now. I mean, it's just, you know, L.A., Seattle, New York. Uh, St. Louis, which according to, uh, I think it's Forbes, I forget who, the number one most violent city in the country, you can't do without the police. But I should hasten to add this, if I may. The police, and I have to say this because uh, you might have some police thinking, the police department, 17,000 plus, they're going to have to rethink some of the ways that they're using. Uh, Everybody's going to need to humble themselves. And that's the biggest problem I see right now. I don't see any hope in people doing this. But if police departments uh, don't want to get defunded or whatever, like New York losing almost a billion bucks out of their budget, there's going to have to be a humility on the part of the police to say, hey, let's talk. Let's talk. What would be wrong with that? And I assume most of your audience loves the Lord it? and is Christian. Uh, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, what do we think that means? Certainly it includes the meaning that maybe we ought to think about the way we are relating to the police. Again, I was in that business 35 years. You better be willing to look at the way a fellow officer that you relate to people, the way you talk to people. You may not be as pure as you think you are. So there has to be that willingness uh, to come to the table. But there has to be that willingness to look at yourself. What am I doing uh, that may be hurting that? And Especially, this is just what I've seen. Uh, I'm an evangelical conservative. But I very seldom see that on the part of my fellow evangelical conservatives. There's always a defense of their position and of the police or of the party. Well, maybe we need to look at some things. Search me, O oh God, said a great warrior in Psalm 139, King David. See if there be any offensive way in me. But I, I don't have a lot of hope people are going to do that. You know, I tried to show some people that this morning and they were just all defensive. But uh, this stuff's not going to go away. These crimes are not going to stop. They're going to get worse. We're going to go back what it was. Some things are better. We do not lose. We've cut the number of police officers killed by gunfire in half the last 20 years. The numbers have been steadily low, about 150 a year, about 50 to 60 shot by gunfire. I hate that we lose any, but it's not like we're losing thousands. So we need to keep things in perspective too.
0: You know, you you mentioned uh, just a little while ago about being responsible for your family, and uh, you said someone on your team uh, says that all the time. If you were talking to someone right now who was concerned with the way that the country is going in in regards to crime and safety, and uh, just just a little worried, what would you say to them in regards to personal safety? Um, I, I mean, something beyond just, hey, you need to take responsibility, I mean, what would you, you know, somebody who was really concerned and, and really wanted some actionable things to do, what would you, what advice would you give them?
1: Well, I'll tell you the first thing and is you have to do is you have to be willing to, um, to recognize that, you know, here's a situation out here. What am I going to do? And most people, uh, even those who believe in the second amendment, uh, you know, which I'm a believer in the second amendment. I don't go crazy fanatical about it. You know, I own a couple of rifles, a few guns, whatever. And I'm not a gun fanatic, but most people that would own a gun pastor, they are not prepared to use that. They don't even know the laws on the use of force. They don't know when they could shoot, when they could not shoot. You saw all your couple in St. Louis coming out of their house with a gun a yeah. few days ago. Oh, oh yeah.
0: yeah. Did you see the way
1: she was holding that gun? Mm-hmm. How embarrassing. I'm so glad they didn't attack her, but what, I was embarrassed. Her finger was on the trigger at one point. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he's waving the gun toward the crowd. One of the four laws of gun safety, uh, you know, never put your finger on the trigger till you're willing to pull it. You know, I mean, they were just breaking every rule. And that just shows us, yes, you have the right to defend yourself, but do you not? But I would say to those individuals, hey, have a family talk. Let's decide what we're going to do as a family to protect ourselves. I don't think there's any, I say this all the time to churches. uh, There is no need to panic. God the Father is on his throne. God the Son is at his right hand. God the Holy Spirit is in our hearts. There is no reason to panic, but there is every reason to prepare. So, Dad, you need to have a family talk. Single mom, raising them a family talk about how you're going to increase the safety factor in your life. And it includes situational awareness. You've got to pay attention to where you are. You have to, in the words of King Solomon, foresee danger and take precautions. You don't go to Walmart, tell your four-year-old, hey, you wonder that way, I'll go this way, meet you up 30 minutes. You don't do that. That's not wise. And and wise people don't do that. But you have to have that family talk and you have to discuss what are we going to do if you're going uh you know. There's nothing wrong. The Bible says, consider the ant. You know, the ant stores up food and all this stuff uh, that he does for that, you know, the tough days that are coming, so to speak. There's nothing wrong with families doing that. That's not, it's a wonderful thing to do. Joseph helped the whole country of Egypt do that, Genesis, you know, so be prepared. Do all the things you need to do that that will put you in a position where if all of a sudden, you know, that you you can't go to the grocery store, what are you going to do? You got water? You got food? And you have to think like these things, think about these things, and you have to deal with that religious mindset that says there's no reason to think about those things. That's the biggest problem people have. But when it comes to protecting yourself from crime, if you're going to get a gun, you're going to get your license or wherever you are, make sure you meet the requirements of that state. But if you're not going to go to the range and practice, you're in trouble. You are in trouble. Owning a gun and knowing what to do with it, you know, are two different things only one is your second amendment, right? You know, knowing what to do with it increases your level of responsibility. If you're going to serve as a protector in your city and as your family, so, or or for your family. So if you're not trained, you know, I heard a preacher say one time, I think he's down there by you. I'll tell you off the air who he is, but he said, look at King David taking on Goliath. He had never even trained. I like to fell out of my chair. (laughs) King David King David was a slinger, Mm S-L-I-N-G-E-R. He was trained. He said in Psalm 144, blessed be the Lord who trains my hands for war. He was a skilled warrior. He knew what he was doing. He said, through God, I can bend a bow of bronze. So if you're serious about training, why not? I mean, you, you do all these other things. You watch a ton of television. You're surfing that all the time. Why not cut out some of that and say, why don't we learn how to better protect ourselves? I mean, Jesus did it. Pastor, in John 7, verse 1, it says, and Jesus did not go to Judea because the men there were looking to kill him. He's implementing, he's practicing Proverbs 27, 12. He foresaw danger. He didn't go. And he was a son of God. He said in John 10, no one takes my life. I lay it down when I'm ready. He refused to be a victim. He did not die as a victim. He died as a victor on purpose when it was time. And I want to think that way. I don't want to go until it's my time. And there are people that die every day. It was not their time to go but they were at the wrong place at the wrong time sometimes because they just, they didn't have that mindset that maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't walk down that dark alley. You know, train your kids uh, what to look for. Train them about situational awareness. Just make them smarter. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus did it. Paul did it. You remember when Paul was told by his nephew, 40 men have vowed to not eat until you're dead. What did Paul say? Oh, don't worry about it. Nephew. Trust God. Nope. He said, you get down there to that police department. You tell them what you heard. And they put 400 armed guards on Paul. I mean, Paul, where's your faith? He knew those guys, those soldiers, the local police department here, they are trained to protect me. And he took advantage of that. We need to take advantage of those things because I've, as I've already said a dozen times, I guess the police simply don't have the manpower to get to you. And we've seen this. We saw it recently in a lady who's, uh, they were all over her car in one of the cities where all the protesting is going on. They called the police and they said, "Up." Oh, The dispatcher told her they're authorized to protest. They're on top of my car. They're about to knock out the window. She's screaming. So, hey, you got even when you leave the house, if you have a city, one of these big cities and there's a lot of protesting going on, know where you're going to go. So, hey, you shouldn't be ending up in the chop zone. You shouldn't be driving into a bunch of protesters. You may have to go around. You just have to think. Foresee danger. Take precautions. It'll take you about a month or so to get into that full mindset. And uh, you, you can do this. It's not a real hard thing to do. It's even fun to do. I hope
0: that answers your question. Am I, are you asking one thing and I'm saying another? No, no, you're, you're, you're right on top of it, you know. Uh, you're saying a lot of things that, that in the preparedness community that, that we say. You know, situational awareness is a very big deal. And uh, it's just very easy nowadays. You know, we, have, we all have our cell phones. Um, we're always in our cell phones. We're always, you know, on social mm-hmm. media, those types of things. Um, it's it's important to be able to know you know exactly what is going on. You get out of your car, be aware of what's happening. Um, you know, one one of the things like for me, I'm a big guy, so um, I and I can I can put on a, a mean looking face if I have to. Um, but you know, there's other people that that you know maybe a, a woman who gets out of their car and they're going to the grocery store or whatever. Um, I know you know even my daughter-in-law had an issue going to the grocery store recently, and and now my son goes with her. The grocery store to just uh, to have that that extra protection uh-huh. there, and so it just like you said, it's very important to be aware of what is going on and to take a little bit more responsibility. Um, uh, it's, it's good to hear all the things that you're saying. Um, well, Pastor, I'd like to throw this in too, if I could. You just said something. One
1: of the things that upsets Christians is they say, "Well, we're not supposed to have fear." Where did you get that at? David said, "At what time I am afraid, I will put my trust in God." David had fear. Paul had fear. He sometimes said to people, he said, I came to see you in weakness, fear, and trembling. Uh, One time he was so fearful about the Thessalonians. He said, I was so afraid that Satan tempted you and all my work was for nothing, so I'm sending Timothy to you. Fear is a gift. It is bad when it keeps you from doing the right thing. Fear tells me, don't jump out of this plane. We are 30,000 feet in the air and you've got no parachute. Fear tells you, don't walk down that dark alley. Just go around the other way. You don't know what's in the alley. So people who say, I'm not going to have any fear in my life, number one, they're not being truthful. Of course, you have fear. Every time you try to pay your bills and you're short a hundred bucks, you get a little nervous, you get a little anxiety, a little panic, a little fear going on there. Fear is the thing that warns you. you know, Gavin DeBord, I believe, wrote a book called, I know he did, The Gift of Fear. Fear is a gift if used correctly. Now, people love to quote, and they misquote this all the time. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind go back and read that. Paul was telling Timothy, hey, in reference to sharing the gospel, building up that church there where I sent you, don't let fear stop you from doing what you ought to do. He wasn't telling him, Timothy. Matter of fact, Timothy had a problem with fear, even to the point that Paul said, why don't you drink some wine to calm (laughs) yourself down because of your frequent illnesses and your anxiety. He was a 30, 35-year-old kid who, who, uh, who obviously struggle with fear, but he wasn't telling him that there's nothing to be afraid of. Fear is bad when you know you should share the gospel with your neighbor, but you're afraid of doing it. Fear is bad when you know you ought to take a stand and you don't do it. But fear is good when it warns you something's not right over there. Don't go. Something's not right with that person. Be careful with what you say. Uh, So there's just a lot of misunderstanding about fear. People reaching the Bible, pull out these verses that do not mean what they are trying to make it mean. Fear. fear is how I stayed alive as a cop for 35 years. I didn't search buildings by myself. I knew I was afraid. I got me a backup, cut my fear in half almost to zero. Fear says I don't walk up to that car on a traffic stop and get right in front of that driver. I kept them at an angle where they had to look back at me. Fear is what keeps you alive. It's not a bad thing unless it just controls you and doesn't let you out of your house. you know. And, uh, and that's a whole different story.
0: Very well said. Very well said. You know, many Christians will have a hard time with the thought of uh, a firearm and and a firearm to defend themselves and possibly doing harm to another person. What would you say to believers who have a hard time owning a firearm right now?
1: You know, C.S. Lewis, I'm sure you've heard of him. He said, uh, though I can respect an honest pacifist, I believe him to be entirely mistaken. And that's just, that just kind of hits the nail on the head. And I would ask those people, listen, number one, it's the right to bear arms. It's not the uh, command to bear arms. If you don't want to have a gun, that's fine. Uh, You don't have to. I'm not a gun fanatic. I'm a God God fanatic. But I also ask them this. wouldn't Wouldn't you love your family enough to protect them? And if you had access to a firearms from somebody who's fixing to shoot and kill your family, are you telling me? You can't defend your family are you willing to live with the consequences that your wife and children may be dead because you didn't want to own a gun? Well that sounds real Christ-like there, I actually think there's something wrong with somebody who thinks like that but once again you know when the scripture is silent conscience dictates uh, that's uh, I believe that's the Westminster con- uh, confession from three or four hundred years ago. Uh, The scripture doesn't tell you that you have to have a a weapon of any kind if you don't want to. I said earlier, Paul made use of a police force when he saw they were going to be killed, and they sent out hundreds of armed guards to protect him. So if you're wrestling with the theology of it, it's probably because you have a weak conscience, and you just accept some things. And I would encourage people, get a firearm. Train because you're trying, you're, you're not talking about just shooting people at random or becoming a killer for the sake. You're talking about protecting your wife, your sons, your daughter, your children, because the only other thing you can do would be to not protect them and then live with the consequences of not having loved them enough. You loved your own belief, yourself, more than you did your own family. And, you will, and I've heard preachers, well-known preachers, say, oh, I could never shoot anybody and send them to hell. So you're going to let them just slaughter your family because you have this weird conviction. Now, I mean, You probably know the preachers I'm talking about. Well-known, they've written books. And it's just the scripture is silent on this matter. So we're not forbidden from doing it. We're not commanded to do it. Uh, as I said already, I'm not a gun fanatic, but I'm not going to let somebody come in and kill my family or innocent people if I can help it, if I want to choose that. But there's nothing wrong with earning a, owning a firearm. And I know that's kind of a weak argument to just say that, but I would think through some of my own thinking, some of my own beliefs and ask me, where am I getting that at? I have actually, and this is what puzzles me, Pastor. Uh, I was on a board about a year ago, a panel down in Sutherland Springs where 26 had been killed and 20 more shot at the church. The TV station was there. We were all up on this town hall forum like Bill. And uh, there was this uh, preacher there, this lady preacher out of Austin saying, there is just no scriptural evidence for us shooting people who come to do us harm. Well, can't you just get some pepper spray or something? And But what puzzled me was this. She was, I hope I can say this right, and please help me say it right. I am puzzled by ministers and believers who are more concerned that we deal rightfully with somebody coming to kill us than we are about all the Damage they're going to cause in that broken hearted congregation that you're going to have to minister to for the rest of your life Does that make any sense? I have seen preachers like well, we don't want to hurt somebody Well, of course you don't he's fixing to kill 50 people You're more concerned about how you're going to deal with him He forfeited his right to freedom and even his life when he came in there to shoot you Whoso sheds man by man shall his blood be shed Moses wrote way back in the book of Genesis. How can you not? How can you let him do that when it was within your power to have something in place to stop him? Didn't you love your flock? That's what blows my mind. Don't you love the flock? And how could you be more concerned? We don't want to shoot anybody. Oh, no, we don't. Well, of course you don't. But what are you going to do with all these broken-hearted sheep? I mean, my, my, my church that I was married at, pastor that had 15 shot and five killed, we're 40 years later. 40 years and one week later, they have still not recovered from it. Wedgwood Baptist, 14 shot, seven killed, 1999. They have not recovered from it. Uh, I could give other examples for hours. Your church is going to suffer forever because you had this little weird belief. Well, I don't want to hurt nobody. You know, I don't want to hurt nobody. And if you studied the scripture, you would see plainly that. You you owe it to your people to protect them. A good shepherd loves the flock. Why wouldn't you? If you're not gonna have the gun, if at least at church, have something. I, I love pepper spray. You know, I carried it in the last 17 years of my career, Pastor. I did not get in one single fight. Not one. Now, a few days ago they pepper sprayed that guy in Tulsa. It didn't work. I'm sure you saw that. You pulled that gun out from under the seat and shot and killed a police officer and shot the other police officer. I'm not saying it always works, but I'm telling you, you could have pepper spray, you know, just uh, a good shot of that in the face. And it does wonders, you know, but you've got to have something in place, but I don't know why, you know, I know the firearm thing is a real struggle and the left likes to use us, use that on us a lot. So how how could you people have guns? Well, well, the police carry them and what is wrong with me? Just the whole argument is ridiculous. Why don't you love your, people in your life enough to protect them. And don't make that argument. And if you don't want to do that, that's fine. But don't tell me I can't because you have no scripture to back up your belief. If you can't throw it on me, I have none to back up mine and to throw it on you. That's why we, you know, that's why we have this great country. It's that freedom. It's not the responsibility to bear right arms. It's the right if you want to have it, do it. But you need to be willing to think it through because there will be consequences if you could have protected innocent people and you did not.
0: Yeah, I, I had a friend uh, who's a, who's, I have a friend who's a pastor uh, down in Santa Fe. So when the school shooting happened in Santa Fe, uh, yeah. You know, yeah, by, by, by Galveston. And um, he was in there and, and was working with the parents and he walked that last parent out who, uh, you know, who, who was told that their child was, uh, you know, killed and he was just heartbroken dealing with the mother who was heartbroken. And so, you know, that, that stuck with him. And I remember the hearing him talk a little bit about that and, uh, you know, just how, how gut wrenching that was for him. And I can just imagine, I mean, this wasn't even a person that goes to his congregation. This was just somebody that he was helping and and working with during, during this time. So He's going to carry imagine. that grief the rest of his life. I mean, that man's life is kind of over. Yeah. You
1: know, I, I, had, I have a, uh, D, uh, a Denver, Colorado friend who's a police officer. He worked the midnight shift one night on Saturday, came home on Sunday, and his son said, Daddy, take me to church. All right, I'll take you. He took a shower and put his clothes on and carried his gun with him. Well, we always tell cops, carry your gun to church. Carry it. The law allows us to do it. He carried his gun to church at 12 o'clock. The pastor said to the 29 people who were there, less than 30 people were there. He said, I feel impressed today to keep y'all for a few minutes longer and pray for you. It seems that every pastor always feels led to go longer, though I know how you guys are. (laughs) And I've been a pastor. I pastored 12 years, 11, 12 years. So he prayed for this one lady. And then he called my friend up to the altar. His name is Antonio. He brought Antonio up and said, Antonio, the Lord says he's about to use you in a powerful way. Be bold, be strong. You'll come out okay. That kind of flipped him out, he went back to his seat. Two minutes later, a man high on drugs crashes a car in the church parking lot, stolen car. He gets out of the car with a gun. A lady runs toward him to help him, a nurse. He shoots and kills that nurse. Shoots another person. Antonio hears that, goes outside, draws out his gun, gets into a gun battle with the man. He won't go down because he's so high on drugs. Antonio comes back in the church, tells everybody to get down. The killer comes in the church. Antonio gets up close and shoots and kills him and saves everybody in there. The Lord warned him to be prepared. Two minutes later, he stopped what could have been a mass killing. He's broken hearted. That lady that was shot, the nurse, was his aunt,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he's broken hearted over that. But we have so many stories like that. You know, and and it's weird too, Pastor, because these churches, they're always, they support the military always stand by the army, the Navy, the Air Force, Marine, Coast Guard, over there fighting terrorists. What is the difference between the terrorists that show up at your church? There's no difference between that killer in Sutherland Springs and there is an ISIS terrorist over in Afghanistan or Iraq. They're both killers. They're both of their father, the devil, John chapter 8, Jesus said to the killers and Pharisees and what have you, There's no difference between Al-Qaeda or ISIS and the guy that comes to hurt you. They're coming to kill. And if you're supporting the military over there fighting for you, why wouldn't you say, hey, why don't we have something here? And they're fighting for our freedom. Why don't we fight for ours? There's no difference. I mean, the argument that comes from people who don't get this, it just blows my mind. I mean, I'm not sure people give their heart. I say this in our seminars. Why is it that people give their hearts to Jesus and then throw their brains in the nearest trash dumpster? And just quit thinking. It's just weird as all get
0: out. Well, you made a lot of great points. What advice would you give? There's a lot of believers that are listening to this podcast. uh, And right now with COVID and, you know, different churches are opening. They're opening up slowly. And, you know, we have all of that. But what advice would you (laughs) give to believers uh, to take back to their pastors, to get them to think a little bit more about this? and uh, to get them on board yeah, that's a great
1: question but number one there's a website called fbsna.com faith-based security network and they're a little bit behind right now but it's run by my good friend carl chin carl was working for james dobson you've heard of him in 1996 i believe when a gunman showed up at focus on the family the bullet holes are still in the wall there i've seen him several times Carl survived that situation. He he became the chief negotiator that day. 11 years later, he's at church, New Life Church, Colorado Springs. And you remember that tragedy? A man shows up, Carl's face to face with him. He shoots my friend, David Works, and he kills his 18-year-old daughter, Stephanie, and his 16-year-old daughter, Rachel. David and Marie went to church that morning with their four daughters, but only went home with half their family. You know, so Carl has a website, FBSN America, Faith-Based Security Network. Google that, go look at all those stats. Now they're about a year and a half behind. It will blow your mind. I have unbelievable, I have hundreds of stories, pastors being gunned down while they were praying at their altar. So I would point them to that website. That's not our website. Our, ours is different. Maybe I can mention that later. But look at all of those. Go to my website, sheepdogseminars.com. Look on the front page of the events that have happened in the last six weeks Maybe you could do that when we get through the show. There's about 15 incidents of violence, sex crimes, shootings. We had a shooting in a parking lot in Dallas church a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Pastor, wake up. And that's what what has to happen. I remember, you remember the uh, murder of the nine black brothers and sisters in Charleston. Mm -hmm. I was in that church eight weeks after it happened. And I should tell you this. I bet you don't know this, Pastor. One of the men killed was Daniel Simmons. He was about 70 years old. His son, Daniel Jr. testified at his trial and said, I don't understand how this happened. My daddy carried a gun everywhere he went, everywhere he went, even to church. Long story short, the coroner gives him the keys to his daddy's car. He goes to get his daddy's car. He opens the door and daddy's gun was lying on the front seat. He left it in the car that night when he went into that Bible study, June 17th, 2015, when that that criminal demon-possessed man stood up and shot and killed those nine incredible people. I'm sure you remember that five years ago last month. But most people don't know, and the press doesn't want you to know, one of the men killed left his gun in the car. The killer reloaded five times, four or five times. At one point, Daniel Simmons might have been able to stop him. So there's another good argument, by the way, if you're interested in stopping killers, that a good guy with a gun could probably stop a bad guy with a gun. But when you go back and talk to your pastor, Say, Pastor, are you aware more people are dying on faith-based property than they are school shootings? You know, and I don't think we need to panic, but Pastor, let's just have something in place, a group of men and and put some women on the team that are going to take responsibility for this. Why don't we protect the flock? And and it's hard. Pastors are very, very hard to convince. So I would say to those guys that, well, Jimmy, we know it's necessary, but the pastor doesn't. And, And Jimmy, I carry, sit on the back row, wander outside occasionally, they're all coming from the parking lot. If you have to, just go stand in the parking lot. Take turns. We have a new law in Texas, and I think you're in Texas, Pastor. Is that right? Yes, yes. We have a new law in Texas, Texas Senate Bill 2065. It has removed all license requirements from churches in Texas. You can protect your flock by whatever means necessary. You just can't pay the volunteers, and you cannot give the impression that you're a security guard or a bodyguard or police. Don't wear any anything that says security. Don't wear anything. Just, you know, you could carry your gun and protect the flock. Do something unofficial uh, because these guys are going to come. They are going to come to the churches and whatever. And unfortunately, many pastors just don't wake up until something happens. And even the sex crimes, those are four or five thousand a year. They're preventable. I just posted one a couple of days ago, and and this guy was a youth director, you know, molesting these kids. And and these problems are not going to stop. So you just have to go back and confront your pastor with, hey, here's what's going on. Listen to this podcast the pastor put out. Let's go to this website. Let's get some training. We offer all kinds on our website. We're fixing to put all of it on the, online so you can just go look at it and try to keep it at a minimal cost and what have you. But uh, and this is, you know, pastors, I, sometimes they get mad at me. I said, well, listen, pastor, you're doing what you do because God called you. I didn't ask to do this. I, I don't even like doing it. I don't even like this. I don't like the violence. I watched it for 35 years, abused kids, women with broken noses, black eyes, hair pulled out of their head. I've, I've, uh, I've dug kids out of trash dumpsters who were murdered. I've knelt beside them when they were beaten so bad their internal organs collapsed. I'm sick of the violence. I'm, I'm heartbroken. I, I cry about this all the time. you know. But as a police officer, I just couldn't do a whole lot. I just had to go to the next false alarm call. And all the other ridiculous things I often had to do, but this is my calling. I was told to do this. And pastor, I honor your—I don't necessarily mean you, even though you're included. I honor your calling, honor mine. I was told to tell you, hey, don't let them come in there and slaughter all of you. And I need to throw this in, if I may, pastor, because a lot of pastors say, well, Jimmy, we're going to be persecuted for the faith. That's not what's going on. When you add up all these deaths, about nine hundred only 6 to 9% were motivated by religious persecution. They're not killing us because we love Jesus. They're killing us because they're mad at their wife or their husband or their mother-in-law. Like in Sutherland Springs, he didn't care about faith. He was mad at his mother-in-law. They're not killing us because we love Jesus. That's what's going on on the other side of the world. Here, we've had about 50 people killed in a religious setting because they were believers, such as New Life Church in 2007 in Colorado Springs. But most of the time, Ninety-something percent of the time, they're killing because they're mad at somebody. They don't care what your faith is. Heck, sometimes they go to church there. So pastors need to keep that in mind, too, talking about how to avoid persecution, even though Jesus taught us how to do that. If they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. You know, Paul escaped one time by being put in a basket, lowered down the side of the wall. That is, they took preventive measures. I hope I'm making sense. I, I think you ask one thing and then I answer 74 things. No, you're,
0: you're good. You're, you're making a lot of sense. Hey, I just get to wound up about
1: this, man. It just breaks my heart to see. You know, Pastor, I was in Dallas four years ago this week. You remember what happened. July 7, 2016, five cops killed in downtown Dallas. Mm-hmm. I yes. was there. I don't know if I told you that. I went to that protest to listen to those guys. And there was a Baptist preacher there named Jeff Hood. You can watch it on YouTube. He stood up in front of those thousand people, black, white, et cetera. And he said, in the words of Dr. Jeremiah Wright, whom I greatly admire, may God, may he damn America. May he damn America. America is a effing lie. You can watch it on YouTube. I encourage you to do so. He said that to all those people, the hate and the tension and the anger there. I was right there was thick enough to cut with a knife. And at 10 minutes till eight o'clock, I was sitting in my truck listening to these guys. And I'm not opposed to them. There needs to be criminal justice reform and all that. I'm not saying that. But the hate was so thick. The press told you it was a peaceful protest. It was not. There were demons in the air like a swarm of bees. And at 10 minutes till eight, I heard the Holy Spirit whisper to me, there's a lot of anger here. There's fixing to be a shooting. I even called a Seattle cop friend of mine and told him what I was thinking. He said, man, I'm watching it on TV, if I remember correctly. But I finally left because I was so frustrated. And an hour later, there's five dead cops. I have two friends, uh, Misty and Brian, that were shot that night and injured. They survived five dead cops. But that's what's going to happen. All this anger turns into hate, turns into bitterness. and It, it, it blows my mind. You know, I see pastors out on the street walking with the protesters. I'm not opposed to that. But why don't you walk with your flock, too? Why don't you walk for the police? Why don't you gather some of your men in your church and go to the flagpole at the police department and cry out to God for him to pour out his spirit and have mercy and protect the police? You know, we had several cops. We had a 40-year retired cop shot to death at a pawn shop in St. Louis Mm -hmm. by seven thugs. We had a police officer, a black, uh, that was a black police officer in St. Louis. We had a black federal police officer in Oakland shot to death. We have a 29-year-old Las Vegas cop who's got a bullet in his brain who's going to be on a ventilator, probably, his family says, for the rest of his life. Instead of just marching with the protesters, I'm okay with that, why don't you take some men down to the police department and call upon the name of the Lord and ask you to protect the local police. You were told to pray for kings and all that are in authority so that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life, First Timothy 2. So why don't we do that too? Some of this stuff puzzles me. A friend of mine told me yesterday, he said, my pastor's walking with all the protesters, but he won't do anything. Show any support for the police, Pastor. We had 228 police officers commit suicide last year. We had five times as many police officers kill themselves last year, 2019, as were murdered by their own by murdered by gunfire. Support the police. Pray for them. Work with them. Go visit the chief. Ask him what can we do. Provide some training. We we've been begging churches to no avail. I've had no luck. I've been begging churches donate to our ministry. We'll We'll provide training. I got 35 years experience as a cop. My friend, Greg Stevens, I bet you've heard of him. Do you remember the Garland, Texas police officer that killed the two terrorists at the Mohammed Drawing Contest?
0: Yeah, yes. yes. That was
1: Greg Stevens. He's my friend. He's on my team. Good old Baptist boy. Loves the Lord. Took on two terrorists. He showed up in Garland, Texas. Killed them both within less than 15 seconds. They came there with six rifles and 1,400 bullets to kill everybody inside the convention center. Greg took them on. We've been begging churches, hey, help us go out there and reach out to these cops and teach them verbal de-escalation and other things they need to know. It's so difficult to, you know, the, the churches like to support the police from a distance. They jump in here and help them. My goodness, we, it's one of the few jobs in the Bible that says we're created by God. I quote Romans 13, Living Bible. The police officer is sent by God to punish those who do evil. You know, we've lost a lot. We've already lost close to 100 cops this year. And several who've been shot six or oh, over a thousand police officers have been injured in the last month, you know, and I know people are upset. understand why, but you don't get mad at situation a and then go kill somebody in situation B. That's just not right.
0: Forget I just get so wound up here. You're probably going to have to edit this thing to pieces. I <laughs> know. You know, I think you make a, a really good point <laughs> uh, for those of us who, who are out here and uh, those of us who are believers. It, The way that we see things right now, and we see the escalation in so many different, um, in so many different ways, it's time to get serious about where you are in your relationship with the Lord. And uh, you know, I have a lot of listeners who are not believers, but I talk a lot about my faith, and uh, I I do think that we are in a time that we need to make sure that we are taking care of our relationship with the Lord and and digging deeper. I I think that uh, this uh, you know this easy Christianity that we've uh, that we've had the this American year, brand yeah the American brand well, of Charles, faith
1: I heard Charles Stanley say that one time we have an American brand of Christianity that's forty years ago I heard him say that
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think that's yeah, go that's going to be uh, let's test it you know oh, uh, yeah. we we have believers. Um, like you said, the persecution, I do believe persecution is coming, but we have persecution right now. Um, there are, you know, Christians in Iran, uh, Christians in I have China. I don't know if you know or not, but 2015, 2016, Christianity
1: was the most hated people's group in the world. 2015, 2016, we have lost over, in every seminar. every seminar, I ask our attendees this, every seminar, How many of you are aware we've we've had over 90 million people murdered for the faith since Stephen was stoned to death? If you add up all the seminars I have done, I have had a combined 30 hands lifted. People don't even know it. We have six Christian women raped and forced into Islam in the Middle East every day, 160 a month. Christian women raped and forced into Islam in the Middle East every month. People are stunned by it. We're losing about 3,000 people a year murdered for their faith. Well,
0: cool. And if you don't know where to look for that information, you're not going to. I mean, the, the mainstream media is not going to share that out. And, uh, you know, the, even the alternative news media, you, you need to know where to look for that kind of information. Um, I know in, in Africa, uh, you have whole villages being wiped out, Christian villages being people wiped out.
1: And, Pastor, it's easy to keep up with. Simply go to your computer. And- Type this in persecution.org or persecution.com. One will take you to the voice of the martyrs, the other will take you to international Christian concern. I know those guys, they've been monitoring it for 40 to 50 years. But it's hard. Once again, you talk about trying to get churches to protect their flock, try to get them to be concerned about Christian persecution. I used to offer seminars where all you had to do was take up an offering, give it to me, and I was going to mail it to the persecuted church. I did not get one church willing to do a seminar. finally just gave up because I had to make a living, but not one church was interested in doing something. I'm not saying no churches care. I'm just saying, in my experience, thousands of people on the website, not one church was interested in, why don't we raise some money? My daughter just spent a year in Iraq, excuse me, in Jordan with Iraqi refugees who got run out of Iraq because when we killed Saddam Hussein, it opened the door for ISIS to come in, and they came in, and you know how that worked out thousands of christians fled they had really nice lives and now they're living 20 30 40 50 people in the house they're hungry they're starving they're suicidal uh and she is she's been trying to get churches we have a family we're trying to get to canada that loves jesus oh how they love the lord and we've been pleading with churches for months and we can't get them to respond we're trying to raise 25 grand just so we can get them to canada so they can have a normal life him and his wife and two little children and you would think we're asking people to donate to the mafia.
0: <laughs> well, you know, give me, give me that information and I'll, uh, I def- I'll
1: forgive I'll, me. I, I wasn't I trying to be manipulative there, but I know you're a rich televangelist, tel- tel- So maybe I can get a couple you. <laughs> <of here.
0: laughs> no, no, I definitely will uh, put that link in the show notes and you know, there's people I will, out I will. there.
1: Well, I will. I'll have that. My daughter, who she doesn't understand it. She's 24 and she really puts her money where her mouth is and fights for these people overseas. But, and that's what I think I ask a lot, Pastor. Where's the warrior? We're made in the image of God. Exodus 15, 3 says the Lord is a warrior. Where's the fighter? Where are the Chris Kyles of the body of Christ? You've heard of him, have you not? Yes. I'm, I'm friends with his wife, Taya. She loves the Lord. No, we're, we're, we're acquainted. We're not really friends. Where are the warriors? You know, Chris Kyle's wife, Taya, said at his funeral in Cowboy Stadium a few years ago, my husband was not only a warrior on the foreign field, he was a warrior at home. Where are the men who fight? Fight for the cities. Nehemiah 4.14, fight for your wives, your daughters, your sons, your families. Where are the fighters? I've been going through the Old Testament putting in yellow every time I it talks about the Lord fighting for his people. I'm running out of ink. <laughs> Where where are the fighters? Where are the warriors? I don't don't mean people who want to kill. I mean men who say, by George, I'm going to get involved in something. I'm going to get involved in a human trafficking ministry and help stop it. I'm going to get involved in an anti-domestic violence ministry. I'm going to do more than just volunteer in the nursery once a month. I'm going to go fight for the kids. I'm going to go be a mentor at school and spend time with those kids. Seven out of ten kids are leaving church when they graduate. I'm going to do something about it. I'm not just going to, Keep giving money so we keep reaching the elderly. I'm going to go out to these teenagers and these couples in their 20s. I'm going to fight, and I'm going to fight until I, I go down with this thing. Go down fighting if I have to. If that makes any sense.
0: It, it definitely does. It definitely does. And I, I think that anger that maybe some of us are feeling on, on the other side needs to be turned into um, that righteous, holy anger, right? And, and you well, know, Pastor, you know the
1: difference between us and in the left I assume you're probably not on the left you know yeah. you're, you're wearing all red <laughs> <laughs> no, but this, this, is left, a, this is my got prep shirt <laughs> on, on the left the left is loud you have know, the liberal the liberal leftists. they're loud they protest sometimes they break off and they tear things up but they get things done they got the whole world bowing down to them right now Go to the right. What do we do? We sit at home, watch TV, and the only change we make is, hmm, change the channel. I don't want to see what the liberals are doing. We, we got to get a little bit louder, whatever that means. It may not mean you're walking the streets. It may mean that you go to the nearest junior high and say, could I be a mentor here? Could I volunteer? Could I help? Get involved in life the kids. But there's not going to be any change. Uh, you know, of course, the difference between us and a lot of the protesters is during the day we have to go to work. So maybe that's part of the problem. <laughs> you may have to cut that out.
0: <laughs> well, let all, me, in all fairness to those on the right, but your jobs. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely. There's uh, God, just a lot of craziness. Listen, if, <laughs> if um, what what one question? I mean, you do a lot of interviews, you do the seminars, people ask you a lot of questions. What's one question that you would wish people would ask you, but they never ask you? Well, if
1: I had a choice of anything, I'd like to hear what the, the Philippian jailer said. What must I do to be saved? I want to see. I read in Zechariah yesterday where the Lord said, There's coming a day my favor will be on my people, and ten men from any one nation will grab the robe of one Jew and say, I'm going with you because your God is with you. That's what I like to hear more than anything. But in that practical everyday thing, Jimmy, show me how to protect the ones I love. Show me, because we can show you. You can go to our website, sheepdogseminars.com. We're going to go online and we're going to offer you training. Uh, I love showing people how to verbally de-escalate, you know, how to, how to stop killers. You know, the Lord, you know, Pastor, the Bible says in Psalm eleven five, the Lord hates the man who loves violence. Wow. He hates violence. The man who loves violence. Hebrews 1 says of Jesus, he hates lawlessness. It's hard to think of God as somebody who gets kind of kicked off and hates something, but violence is so bad. So I love it when people call and say, can you show us what to do or what's going on? You know what we need right now is the manifestation of the sons of Isaacar. Remember them? Second Chronicles 16, I think. The Bible says that the sons of Isaacar, one of the tribes of Israel, I believe, It says they understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. And ladies and gentlemen, you need to understand what time it is. And and that doesn't mean, and I'm so tired of this. Well, the Lord's about to come back. You don't know that. So far up to this moment, we have a 100% failure rate on the predicting of the coming of Christ. You know, a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. I, had, you know, I remember one time the Lord whispered to me, son, you don't know what time it is on God's clock, but you can, because of God's word, know what to do with your time. So stop all this eschatology talking and apocalypse, and all this. He's about to, every, every gen- and we have had worse generations. World War I with the Spanish flu and fighting wars on foreign fields, the, the plagues of the past centuries, World War II, everybody thought the world's ending. Well, here we are 60 years later. Stop chasing that rabbit and look up to heaven and say, Father, what do you want me to do? Because we were told, you do not know the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power and you shall be my witness. In other words, quit sitting around wondering, is the world about to end? And, you know, gird your sword, the sword of the Spirit, and find out where you're supposed to fit in and, and, and be prepared. Do the things you need to do to protect your wife and children and see what ministry the Lord wants you to be involved in.
0: Uh, and that's, and I, that was pretty good. I'm going to take up an offering for that. One. <laughs> and I think I think we need to, you know, definitely the, the word says to occupy until he comes. Yes. It's so yes, busy. I, I I do. I am somebody that does look at eschatology. I do believe in in knowing that and knowing that information. Um, but yes, I do agree that that's not an excuse to sit back and say, "All right, I'm mm-hmm. just I'm just buying my time until until uh, the, the sky splits open." And uh, well, you,
1: know, you can line up any 10 preachers and you'll get 10 different views on eschatology. <laughs> I came to a point where I just believe he's coming back and, uh, you know, blessed is the one who's I'm paraphrasing who's occupying when I retire. Blessed is the one who's doing what I told him to do. That's I want to, really, I want to be caught in the act of giving a cup of cold water in his name or, or whatever.
0: That's really good. Yes. So last question, if you were sitting across the table from someone just drinking some coffee What big piece of advice would you share with them right now? My favorite
1: topic is the topic of the spiritual disciplines. And by that, I mean, I plead with people, you better learn how to get to know God. You know, what does your prayer life look like? Do you fast? People don't even know what that is at the time. They say, oh, yeah, I like my favorite fast food plate. No, no, I'm not asking you that. <laughs> Are you praying? Are you fasting? Are you worship? Are you doing those things that the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of the cross have made possible for us to walk with God, to be very intimate? I mean, if he, if he sneezes, you ought to hear it. So my, my real passion in life is helping people learn to do those things that increase the intimacy and the knowledge of God in their life. You need to, you know, Paul said that that I may know Him, and then, and this is what happens, Pastor. I can't help but talk about Jesus. I'm an addict. I can't help it. I'm, you know, Peter said to the Pharisees, I cannot help but speak of the things which I've seen and heard. Remember that when he got arrested. Yep. So right now, you know, we're losing a lot of people. Southern Baptists lost two hundred eighty-seven thousand people last year. You know, if you happen to be a Southern Baptist out there. 287,000. The worst hit they've taken, according to the Baptist press, if I read it correctly, in 100 years. We are losing people. The key right now is not to go out and get them. The key right now is to see what do you need to do that would help you become that person that would be more effective in changing the world. So you better learn to get to know God. You better learn to pray, worship, celebration, uh, studying the scripture. I read one time the average preacher only spends 22 minutes a day in prayer. You know, we're not doing those things. If you go through the book of Acts, I did this one time, Pastor, 57 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned. 27 times they're praying, 17 times they mention the resurrection. The might of the early church was the Holy Spirit. The message was the resurrection. The method was prayer. We've got to all these Christians saying, well, they took prayer out of school. Are you kidding me? Number one, they didn't. They just said the staff can't lead it. But why don't we put prayer back in the church? That might be something around here. You're not going to find a Wednesday night prayer meeting anymore up here in Dallas for worth. So when I'm sitting down with people, I want to know, Hey, are you, are you doing those things that are helping to get you to know God? And 90% of the time, no, nah. they're watching TV. They're playing on their phone. They got their iPad. They're downloading the newest game or newest app. We're blowing so much time, you know, that we, we've got to find a way to, to lock ourselves in with God and to walk with him. And then the natural result of that is going to be you're going to find out what your ministry is and, and you're going to go do it. Now, God's not trying to save this country. He's not trying to get people to be more respectful of the flag or not kneel. His purpose is Psalm 33 or his kingdom. And the scripture says they will endure from one generation to the next. The invitation of God is, hey, come and get involved in what I'm doing. Pastor, I saw a sign on the church one time and said, God has a plan for his life. You might be included. (laughs) Isn't that true? Jesus does not exist to make your dreams come true. He invites you, I think C.S. Lewis said, invites you to the great dance, the invitation of Christ. And I would say this to your audience that's not a Christian. God loves you so much. I always say this at our seminars, if I may say it again here. Your heavenly father, the God of the Bible, is a ferocious, flaming, fiery, fierce, passionate, hot, wild, steaming, romantic, adventurous lover. He loves you so much. How do I know that? Because he gave the ultimate gift to save you and to bring you into your family. He he plotted and carried out the death of his only son who bore your sins. And now with simple childlike faith, you could come to and say, save me. He'll take out that old heart, give you a new one, and you will know the God of heaven. He will be your father. Jesus will be your elder brother. The Holy Spirit will be your constant companion. It won't matter what kind of house you live in, how much cash you got in the bank, what job you work at, or the kind of car you drive. He will become your everything. And then, and I say all the time, I want I want people to know when they sit across the table from me, I always like to tell them about this, this burning desire in the heart of God to have this relationship with you. And then throughout the course of the day, you're going to go out there and come across people. They're going to be thirsty. You're going to have a bottle of Jesus. You can pop the top, pour it all over. I love doing it. Uh, Pastor, do I have time to tell you a 10-second story?
0: Go for it. Yes. Okay, you
1: can edit it out. A few months ago, I'm sitting at McDonald's on a Wednesday night trying to eat a hamburger with my granddaughter so we can get to church. There's one lady in there. This is before COVID hit. There's one lady in there, a white lady sitting off to the right. A young black man comes in, gets his hamburger, looks around for somewhere to sit. I'm like, gee, every chair in here is empty except for three of them. So all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit prompted me, talk to him, ask him to sit with you. And I said, Excuse me, sir. He said, Yes, sir. I said, Is there any chance you would sit down with me? And we could have a conversation and begin a friendship. <laughs> he didn't know me from Adam. He said, Well, a young black man, about 35 years ago, named Michael, I would find out. He sits down and I said to him, Michael, I said, said, I'm Jimmy. He said, I'm Michael. I said, let's cut to the chase, Michael. I'm white. You're black. You're half my age. We don't get along in this country. Is there any chance we could just have a good conversation? You tell me everything about you you want me to, and I'll share with you, and we can become friends. We finished our burger an hour and a half later. He and his girlfriend girlfriend showed up at my church. (laughs) We're still friends. That's the effect of Jesus on me and his love and his passion. You know, I'm walking down the street yesterday, and I saw – Uh, an African-American lady working in her yard. And I said, ma'am, you've been living here for a while and I haven't even talked to you other than waving. We talked for 10 minutes and I made her promise that she'd come over for dinner as soon as this COVID thing is over with. Hey, let's let's go out there and tackle the sinners, tackle the saints, get involved, get outside your box. But that only works if you got something going on with God, you'll be able to say with David, my cup runs over. My cup runs over. So I want to be the world's greatest lover, and I'm determined to be that.
0: Very well said. Very well said. Hey, Jimmy, I'm not really sure what I've said to you. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to get more viewers, or you're going to be off there. One or the other. A <laughs> lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff. Where can other people find more information about about you and what you do, and and um, maybe some information that they can take back to their churches and 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 get. Um, get prepared themselves as far as uh, maybe some self-defense and stuff like that.
1: Well, you bet uh, the website, go to our website. There's a shortcut to get to it. It's called sheepdog seminars.com And people say, what's a sheepdog? Well, that's the dog that keeps the wolf off people. You might remember the movie American sniper. I don't know if you ever saw that or not. When Chris Kyle's daddy says there's three kinds of people in the world, wolves, sheep and sheepdogs." Well, that's where that comes from. As a matter of fact, we gave them permission in that movie, uh, Clint Eastwood and them, to use that in the movie, because Chris Kyle did not use that terminology in his book. So that's what a sheepdog is. He just runs off the wolf. But go to sheepdogseminars.com or sheepdogsafetytraining.com, or you can Google my name, Jimmy pull that up, and we're going to do some online training. We'll be glad to talk to your pastor. One of the guys that travels with me, Frank Pomeroy, that had 26 people killed at his church, If your pastor wants to talk to him, Frank has given me permission to set up a phone call with him. We will help you if you're not convinced of this. But we're going to start offering online training. We have a ton of things available. We can't make them free. We have to make a living and what have you. But we do try to keep things uh, cheap. But go to that website, CheapDogSeminars.com. We have some new team members. Carl Chen is with us. James Friedman, a police officer out of Michigan. Carl out of Colorado Springs, we can do an online seminar or when this COVID thing blows, blows over, we'd love to come to your church and, and, and help you. We'll show you what to do that will decrease the chances of violence getting the best of you. We also have some women's seminars we do. We could do it online for the women in your church. It's not self-defense. Most of the time we, we tell women, you know, they're not really interested in self-defense because self-defense means the attacker got too close. And if you don't practice, you won't be good at it. You can't go to a class and never go again. Situational awareness is the key. We have a seminar we can do online for that. But anyway, CheapDogSeminars.com. We'd love to hear from people.
0: Awesome. I will definitely link to that in the the show notes. So anyone who is listening can go over there just with uh, a click of the link. And uh, also, if you'll – I'll get the – off air, we'll get the uh, the link to uh, your daughter's whatever, you know, that ministry that she's involved with so that we can share that out if anyone wants to. Uh, oh, to thank you. You know, you, you, may,
1: you may be the first pastor that said that, and that doesn't surprise me, brother. God bless you, even if you send a nickel, even though I know you're worth a couple of billion. But even <laughs> if you send a nickel, she is just like, Dad, why won't people help? Honey, welcome to the world of the church. <laughs> They're too busy building buildings.
0: <laughs> yeah. But I will. I'll have
1: her get a hold of you. Awesome. Thank
0: you. Well, Jimmy, thanks so much for being uh coming, taking your time to come on to the podcast. I greatly appreciate it.
1: It is an honor to be here. God bless the United States. God bless you.
0: All right, what a great episode of just going. And I gotta tell you, you know, after the uh after we recorded the episode. Uh, Jimmy was like, "Man, you just let me talk." And I, I do. You know, I I hate it when I listen to an episode and the uh, the host like keeps interrupting people when when the, the interview you know, the the person that they're interviewing when they are like on a row and they're just talking and and they're going and uh, I you know I hate I hate that. I, w- I want to listen to the person that they're interviewing. They're the expert, right? And so uh, I, I try to always do that when I am. Uh, interviewing someone, I just kind of let them go until there becomes a, a, a lull in the conversation, and we can move on to the next question. So a lot of great information there, and uh, really appreciate uh, Jimmy for coming on to the to the podcast. Um, like I mentioned in the episode, I am going to link to Sheepdog Seminars, so that you can go ahead and get over to his website if you want to get some more information and maybe point your your pastor to that information. And also the link for his, his daughter is going to, you know, who's helping out uh, those people from Iraq, uh, those believers from Iraq is going to be in uh, the mentioned in this uh, episode uh, section. And so that you can click there if you feel in your heart you'd like to give. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 648. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Make sure you click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app or head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com, and that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And don't forget, if you're looking for more preparedness and self-reliant information, head on over to prepperwebsite.com, where we link to 8 to 12 articles every single day of the very best articles out there. We also have pages dedicated to alternative news, firearms, DIY, Bible prophecy, frugal living, and homesteading. And lastly, don't forget to join the email list if you haven't. When you do, I'm going to send you a free PDF on 25 hand-picked preparedness articles you should read. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.